0: It's the middle of August, a grim reminder for school-aged children and even a few adults I know that summer is coming to a close. However, I always take comfort in knowing that the interdimensional realm where the spinner rack resides is never really affected by seasonal changes. It's one of those things that stays about as constant as that perfect spot on the couch where you read your favorite comic books. If you haven't realized it yet, or if you're just not familiar, you've just walked into, tuned into, and joined the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 22. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. Today, and this week, just like every week, I'm going to be bringing to you my top five choices of the comic books published by DC Comics. It's not an easy task. It's not one I take lightly, but it's one I'm proud to do each and every week, And while I'm happy to give you my score out of five for each one of these comic books, what matters to me the most is knowing what your score is. Stay tuned to the end of this episode, where I'm going to let you know all the ways that you can share your score with me and the rest of the team here at the DC Comics News Podcast Home Office. Because really, when it comes to a conversation like this, like any podcast, like any social media broadcast, like any interaction with fans who love comics as much as i do as much as we do what really matters is knowing what you think and then having that great conversation that goes with it kicking off our conversation this week i'm gonna dive right into hawkman number 15. i absolutely love this issue the darkness within shades of former selves written by robert venditti pencil by pat boliff tom palmer on the inks and Jeremiah Skipper taking care of those colors. Starkings and Comicraft handled the lettering, while Olaf Palmer and Skipper took care of the cover. Inya Lee was in charge of the variant cover, of which I was a big fan. This sort of gory, in the heat of the battle, sort of frenzied Hawkman. Not to say that the original cover wasn't quite a treat. I love the way the shadows are depicted as these like strands and tendrils. They almost kind of remind me of some sort of symbiotic creature you might have seen from over at the Marvelous Competition. I thought this was a great story that introduced a lot of fun things for Hawkman. One of the first things I loved is that we ended last issue on a bit of a cliffhanger. Hawkman had just completed a really difficult process in which he had begun to unlock and piece together the many different layers of his past lives, and the fact that they existed over time and space. And through that, he'd overcome a conquering horde known as the Deathbringers. And now was looking to uncover more of the secrets that might exist in his past and also begin forging a future that can atone for all of the sins that he learned about that occurred during his past, especially his original past. And then he's met by the Shadow Thief, who has accepted Lex Luthor's offer, is extremely more powerful now, and strips away Hawkman's shadow. In this issue, a defeated Hawkman stumbles into the path of The Shade, a legendary character whose origins originally cast him as uh, a thief and a criminal. But into the 80s, 90s and especially more recently, the character of The Shade has actually taken on a, a much less conventional approach and has actually become a really engaging character. There's something about a character that's not quite moral, not quite amoral, and has established their own code for surviving in a world where having an ability or trying to simply do right by yourself can be a challenge in and of itself. Shade is a really great example of someone who has also traversed a great deal of time during his life, and therefore has a bit of a perspective that is helpful whenever Hawkman is struggling with issues from his past, issues with time, or need someone with an outside perspective that can inform what Hawkman's trying to do. In this case, his ability to find shade actually has more to do with the powers that he has control over and how they might be helpful in dealing with the Shadow Thief. We have a continuation of the nightmares that have been haunting Carter Hall, which I think is a great development in the story. And moving into and just sort of blending seamlessly into my favorite moments, I really enjoyed the way this story moves into the relationship between these characters and the way that I felt that it made a point of showing that they don't always feel like they're on the same side. And that's because... In almost any situation, the trust factor is something that can be difficult to overcome. And this is really exemplified on page 13 when Carter hasn't actually mentioned the fact that his shadow has been stolen, but it's something that Shade is able to uncover through just a bit of observation. And in recognizing that, realizes that there's a great danger that is facing them. He hauls Carter into this. Really cool-looking uh, safe room. Unfortunately, the Shadow Thief is quite sneaky. <laughs> he figures out a way to hide within a shadow, and I think it's a detail that's that's best left discovered by the reader. But I will let you know that he's able to confront Shade Hawkman, and after kicking their butts around pretty impressively, he then takes the Shade's shadow and i thought this was a really interesting development because hawkman in this issue was going to seek advice and assistance from someone whose power deals with shadows and now that very person the shade is actually not able to help him out and now is also in a similar predicament which means that in order for carter to overcome what's happening he not only has to fight on his behalf but he actually has to fight to help out Someone who was trying to help him out and who now is facing a really dire situation, unless they can uncover or work their way through to whatever the resolution might be. I will let you know that in order to accomplish their goal, they have to follow uh, the Shadow Thief into a really intriguing place called the Shadowlands, and I'm really excited to see how that's going to pick things or where we're going to pick up in hawkman number 16 and how this story is going to delve into what i feel is some pretty interestingly unexplored territory really great use of light and shadow especially when you're talking about a story about light and shadow i think this is an amazing example by the art team of when to tone down these really impressive details like the pencil lines and the coloring and the shading to provide it with this sort of muted quality that goes really well with uh, the interactions with the shade. But also, then, when there are moments where you get to see like light and the brilliance that that casts on an image, how those pencils, colors, and lines all seem to like sharpen and tighten up. I thought it was a really amazing job. I have nothing but praise for this art team. Um, and i really liked as i mentioned this really great story when it comes to negatives really hard to find anything that that really didn't work for me i, I enjoyed the story i like the fact that there are two elements going on here one carter still dealing with his past and two trying to deal with this you know very difficult present i like the introduction of uh the shade to this story and also now the predicament it's placed him in and the way that's going to carry into not only the next issue but the development of this world the shadowlands hard to really find fault with this issue so i'm happy to go ahead and kick off this edition of the dc comics news spinner rack episode number 22 by the way that uh i'm happy to give this issue a five out of five it doesn't happen all the time but when it does it's generally a very fun ride. now for my second choice on This episode of the DC Comics New Spinner Rack, I'm picking up with Collapser number two in the story, It's a Bad Day, Liam James. Story by Mikey Way and Sean Simon, with art by Eilis Kiriasis. I always hope I say that correctly. Colors by Chris Peter, with letters by Simon Bolin. The cover by Ilias Kiriasis. And a really fun story that is something i've been enjoying since issue number one which you might have heard featured here on the dc comics news spinner rack when last we left off with our hero liam he was unfortunately uh, trying to understand what was happening to him and when he was transported to another place He found himself staring at the very recognizable structure known as Sconehenge. It's a bit of a challenge for him to try and get onto a tour bus after the bus sees that the Sconehenge monument that he was nearby has collapsed (laughs) into a crumbling pile of rocks. But when the bus tries to leave, that's when things get interesting because that black hole that was sitting in the middle of Liam's chest at the end of last issue and may or may not in his mind have been responsible for transporting him to that place we all know as sconehenge now has sucked up the bus and drawn it into his chest and then he ends up in Egypt with the pyramids and a bus roaring behind him and crashing into one of the pyramids But I have to love this moment because Liam, in just such a great little touch, says, Oh man, I broke the Great Pyramid. (laughs) And I love that the tour bus driver is yelling at him. And even the people on the bus seem like they want to come after him. But that's not going to be possible. Because Liam begins to move all across the globe. First the Bermuda Triangle, then into Loch Ness, Scotland, Berlin, Germany. He even begins to move through time and as he does he sees all of these crazy sort of images the pine barrens in new jersey transylvania romania and i believe dracula or at least it sure looks like dracula the loch ness monster in loch ness germany in 1945 only to find himself back at his nursing home job where a patient that he was trying to play a game of chess with has passed I think this is a really great introduction to this book. It moves right into one of my favorite parts, which is this is a story about someone trying to figure out what's going on. And the thing they're trying to figure out is something no less mysterious than a black hole, one that's in the middle of his chest. And from all appearances from last issue was the parting gift of his now departed mother. I don't know how much stranger it can get, but for me, that would be enough to have me freaking out. And it probably explains why liam is losing it on his girlfriend and freaking out while just trying to have a cup of coffee but that could be because of my next favorite thing which is this sort of augmented reality which is a fun thing to say now that we've got virtual reality in which liam is able to see or is unfortunately forced to witness this strange sort of otherworldly existence that's either right outside or a mirror to our own world. It's confusing, disorienting, and it causes him to see horrible visions, not only of this strange world, but uh, images of his girlfriend dying or bleeding through the eyes, which looks terrible. There's a a villain, of course, who (laughs) has begun attacking Liam and he finds himself fighting back only to learn that he was actually assaulting, accosting a person who is just working at one of those uh, little eating trucks, food trucks I think they call them, and that this places him in a psychiatric hospital where he has to stay for 30 days and fight the demons in his head. These images that he has no power over, and that he keeps trying to control. It's something he thinks he has control over when he's finally released from the hospital 30 days later and is greeted by his girlfriend, only to then look up into the sky and see, and this is probably one of my favorite parts, this hot air balloon with a skeleton. I mean, he looks like almost like Skeletor, but wearing uh, a military sort of outfit, something reminiscent of uh, A dictatorship or a dictator's outfit um, sort of vague military parade dress and the bombs he's throwing look like something right out of a cartoon like a Tom and Jerry, round black with a wick coming out of the top and that's when Liam sees his girlfriend covered in blood and watches as everyone around him is attacked which causes Liam to open up the black hole within his chest, and try and do something. What happens next? Well, it leads to an interesting cliffhanger, leading us into next issue. And if Collapser makes it back on, which I have a strong feeling it do, we can go ahead and talk about that part. The story for Collapseor number two is unbelievably weird, and the thing that really sells it for me is the unbelievably weird art that goes with it. It's really just sort of uh stark and strange and dark and a little twisted and it adds to the surreal quality of this augmented reality that he keeps witnessing and the difference between the world he's existing in and the world that he's seeing as part of these new visions really makes for some cool art that that again it it sells this story idea of this actually happening to someone I really enjoyed the way it sets up everything about this story and it makes me feel the sense of confusion and misunderstanding that comes with this power that seems to exude from Liam and yet it's something he just can't control. I felt that the psychiatric hospital was a really nice twist and seeing that sort of strange, stark environment but then also using that to compare against these visions was really an interesting approach as well. I'm really impressed with the uh, storytelling here and the great art. As far as any weaknesses, I my only real issue is the idea of a character having a love interest and then losing that love interest and that being part of the motivation for him to do something it's always been a challenge in comic books it's always a difficulty um but it's something that's been common in a lot of stories before comic books the idea of what makes a character do something and one of the things that can be a great motivator is when the most important things in their lives are threatened and that forces them to do something so while i understand the purpose i did have difficulty or I did just sort of like find myself noting the fact that this could have been done with the threats to the city and him trying to get her safe and worrying about that to create that degree of tension, but they chose to go this direction. And I'm also hopeful that given one or two little developments that occur, you know, as I said, in those final two pages, which I think are best discovered by the reader, I think there might be an opportunity to see how this doesn't have to play out the way it has so often in other comic book stories and with other characters. I really think that when you're dealing with story and art like this, it's hard to find, for me at least, any problems with it. So much of Liam's present-day world and also the augmented one that he sees are so much a part of his perspective and the world that the story is taking place in that I didn't feel like there was any um, reason to judge the art uh, based on that. And also I felt that the tone that it creates at the beginning of the issue is one that carries through uh, to the end and that that tone is consistent and one of the best things that can be hoped for from an art team between the story and the art, collapse number 2 is another 5 out of 5 on my book. Happy to give this a solid 5 out of 5 score. Happy to start off episode number 22 with two 5 out of 5 scores. But with the end of my second choice for this episode, we do have to acknowledge that it's time to take a break, pay some bills, but also keep you informed with some really great ads. It's just going to be a short one. And then we'll be coming right back to you with choices three, four, and five. Thanks for staying tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News Podcast. Here every week to talk everything DC. Movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. (laughs) No, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) No. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, editor-in-chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so... You can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And thank you so much for sticking with us after that quick commercial break. Hope it was a chance for you to catch up on a little bit of helpful information before we roll in to my choice number three here on DC Comics' new Spinner Rack. And my third choice is appropriately Event Leviathan number three, a story I've really been enjoying because I feel like one of the biggest challenges when having an event is how to have that main thread, that main storyline that feeds through and has enough ways to connect to all the other parts of the dc universe so that the event feels like it's touching everyone so that it has the kind of impact that you want an event like this to have i really enjoyed the storytelling by brian michael bendis alex Maleev on the art and cover um Really great combination, also from Jay Anacleto and Rain Barreto on the variant cover, which I thought was really kind of cool. The original cover features uh, Batman fighting off masked assailants with the Leviathan character kind of in the back like a vampire. But on the variant, the Leviathan character, who's so far appeared in like a red hooded sort of thing the really kind of creepy mask has a giant shadowy figure behind him which is interesting to me it paints the possibility of either a an enforcer or b maybe the main power behind leviathan always a nice setup when you get to see the when you get to see the sort of foreshadowing that a great cover like this can potentially lend or lead to the story starts out in superman's fortress of solitude And the cast of Lois Lane, Plastic Man, Robin, Green Arrow, Batman are all trying to figure out exactly what went wrong when they confronted, in last issue, Red Hood. Now, in last issue, after a conversation between Batman and Red Hood, these other heroes joined and attacked Red Hood, claiming that, based on all the evidence that had been uncovered and that was sort of revealed through the conversation with Batman that almost all the signs pointed to Red Hood who then begins fighting off all of these heroes and demonstrating why he is according to Robin the greatest martial fighter in the world if not one of the greatest the greatest and the way that he is able to use his skills, his resourcefulness, and everything that he has sort of gathered into his knowledge base ever since uh, being a kid on the streets, working with Batman, and then the sort of wild story that his life has become ever since his death at the hands of Joker and his return to the land of the living. One of my favorite parts during the fight with the other heroes is when he gets away, pulls a gun on Lois Lane, and instead of shooting her, he answers the question that she's been thinking. If he's being set up, why is he being set up? And the only response he has is that he's a perfect person to be pointing at, because he thinks Leviathan is something he should be doing. It's actually something he understands, and because of that, it makes sense that all the other heroes, the best detectives, would see him as the most likely culprit. Now there are a few more developments that include the understanding by all those involved that Amanda Waller was in the Fortress of Solitude before they arrived, which leads to their discovery that she's recording them, and she, in a undisclosed location, destroys the recording device that she was using to listen to them before she's confronted by Leviathan and his foot soldiers. But there's this really great moment right before the end of the issue that I'm going to allow readers to discover. And I really felt that the pacing of this story and this sort of group discussion that occurs and I, I enjoyed as well in the last two issues more so in two and in this one than I did in the first. And that's the sort of gathering of information, the sharing of information, and the desire to try and use that information to uncover any clues. I think it makes for some really interesting storytelling. I think it also allows for this great uh, character dynamic through dialogue. I really enjoyed the way this story was written and for as much that I enjoyed the way that it was written, the art that goes with it is really smart and really sets a tone from this sort of like cool blues of the Fortress of Solitude, which transitioned perfectly into the nighttime skies where we get to see Red Hood and the other heroes fighting each other. And then to this sort of strange, I don't know, almost desert, it reminded me of like Arizona or New Mexico sort of setting where we find Amanda Waller and this sort of hazy sunlight that could be twilight, could be uh, sunrise. It's, it's really uh, an interesting um, comparison, especially when it occurs from the Fortress of Solitude page with the blues and the sort of shadowed tones right into that glaring sort of orange brightness in the next page. It's a really interesting shift and one that I think works well because of the way colors are used in this issue and especially in that sequel. I'm not always the biggest fan of an event storyline, but so far, Event Let Leviathan has been really successful at creating a mystery that I haven't uncovered yet. And those can be the kinds that generally draw me in and allow me to try and uncover clues just like one of the characters in this story kudos to Brian Michael Bendis and his amazing art team for pulling off this feat, for drawing me in, for making me feel like I'm part of the story. I do feel that for all of the great things that I enjoy, that there are these little moments that I'm not sure if they could be pushed further, or if they are something that are just missing an ingredient, like a great recipe, but if there was one additional seasoning, it would add that flavor that would make it feel more complete. I know that's not a specific enough reason to give for why I'm going to go ahead and only give Event Leviathan a 4 out of 5, but it was something that I felt was missing and I promise if I do uncover it and have the chance to share it with you here on the spinner rack I will, but right now it's just something that I could feel as I was reading it and I don't have a better way of pinpointing it for you and I accept all responsibility that goes with it. If you have something to say about that, listen to the end for all the ways that you can let me and the team here know. Moving right in to my fourth choice, which is The Flash number 76. The Flash has gone through a bit of a (laughs) a rough patch recently, whether it was the impressive performance by the trickster and the great caper that the Flash couldn't stop, or the recent uh, reflection on his first year after becoming the Flash that was provided for him through the newest avatar of the Still Force. In that process, Barry has had to go through a little bit of patience, also understanding, and some humility. And it's what has brought him to a place in issue number 76 where he is able to not only meet with with Wally but with other members of the Flash team to sort of go over the mistakes that he knows he's made and he's willing to admit to and also to start spreading the word that he's trying to do things differently it's something that he knows he can do better at it's something he wants to convince wallace of it's something that he wants to convince avery of and in order to do it he brings them to the flash museum which last issue we saw him rebuilding and he wants to point out to them that not only is it a place to provide them with the recognition publicly that he believes they deserve but that one of the paintings is actually a doorway into a, a speed lab And in that speed lab they can work together to try and understand all of these new forces the avatar of the still force steadfast is there and he begins talking about all the different ways that they can track how it is that these new forces that have been unleashed can help out why is this happening well simply put speed force is dying the flash is getting slower something that Steadfast mentioned to him last issue, something that he's recognized, but hasn't been able to understand. And it's something he's not sure if he's going to be able to solve, because the root cause of the Speed Force dying is the other forces that have been released into the universe. They weren't meant to be there, and the fact that they are is enough of an issue that it's causing the slow demise of the Speed Force. As soon as Barry shares this with Wally and Avery, they also acknowledge that it's something that they had felt aware of, but couldn't really define. Now, while this is a great part of the story, what is also going on is the reintroduction of Captain Cold and Heatwave, and their plan to make a move on Central City once they get the gang back together. However things take a dramatic twist with the arrival of a black flash one that's usually there when a speedster has been messing with time although this time the reason for the appearance of the black flash has nothing actually to do time or at least it doesn't appear to just yet i'm curious to see how issue number 77 addresses this great story here from joshua williamson uh Rafa Sandoval handling the pencils, Jordi Tarragona on the inks, Tomu Mori on the colors with Steve Wands handling the letters. Sandoval, Tarragona, and Mori combine on the cover with a variant cover from Yasmine Putri. This was Death of the Speed Force part one and something I'm really intrigued to see what happens as we move into the next issue, number 77 and how it is that the Black Flash is there, and what exactly it was or is that the Flash or another speedster is doing with time to bring him about, or is he there as it appears for something other than time? Join me, should this issue make it back on the spinner rack, when hopefully we'll get to talk about this again, given what Joshua Williamson and the Flash have been doing so far, I think there's a strong chance for it. In addition to that great storytelling the amazing art team made so many elements in this issue come to life whether it's the emotions on the faces of wally and avery when barry arrives or the emotions on his face when he's at the flash museum and sharing not only his knowledge but his desire for them to work together i love the menacing appearance of heatwave and the new sort of luther Year of the Villain upgrade to Captain Cold, and I think it's a lot of fun seeing them reconnect. I also thought that the appearance of the Black Flash was new and not something I thought was possible. There's something different about the way he's drawn in this issue, the hand reaching out, the long gaping maw, the sort of almost shredded or peeling away quality of the ends of his feet, hands, or arms. It's really an interesting um, depiction, and it makes for a great image. I really enjoyed this issue, because I feel like overall, when it comes to something like following up on an issue number 75 or other milestone issue, keeping the momentum or picking up a new storyline can really feel like an uphill battle but this feels almost effortless and i feel like it does such a great job of carrying over so many different elements that were brought up in issue number 75 and that number 76 begins to address I was more than happy to go ahead and put this one down as a solid 4.5 out of 5. i know i would normally just give it a 5 out of 5 but i did feel overall like this setup as well as it could after a milestone, yet it still was working against that sort of impact that a milestone issue like 75 can have, and I thought number 76 did a great job, just not quite a 5 out of 5. We'll see if number 77 is able to do better or more, but it's time to move into my fifth and final choice. And for that fifth and final choice, I've chosen Wonder Woman number 76. The story, Mothers and Children, by writer G. Willow Wilson and artist Lee Garbett, with colors by Romilo Fatardo Jr., Pat Brousseau on the lettering, Jesus Marino and Romulo Fajardo Jr. on the cover, and Jenny Frisson on the variant cover one that I really enjoyed. I hope I got all those names right. It's always a challenge, and sometimes I feel like I nailed it, and other times like I have no idea what I'm doing. Back to that variant cover, great image with the classic pose of Diana, sword, shield, but then that menacing hand of Cheetah reaching towards her right shoulder, almost out of the view of Wonder Woman, and providing that great foreshadowing for what's to come not only in this issue, but uh, the effect that Cheetah is now going to have on Wonder Woman after making her bargain with Lex Luthor as part of the Year of the Villain storyline. I really love this issue because it opens with the concept of mothers and daughters. Uh, Diana with Hippolyta and later addressing the on and off um, challenging mother-daughter relationship that exists for Aphrodite and her child who when we saw them first introduced to each other clearly had some issues to work out and never got the chance to when Atlantiades, Diana, and a whole cast journey to Themyscira and completed their mission. After doing so they now have to take advantage of the fact that with the portal open Diana can fulfill a promise and bring Isidore home to her mother. Another great moment with a mother-daughter connection and one that I felt just sort of cemented this idea that begins with Diana and her mother, continues with Isidore, and becomes uh, a developing part of the story between Atlantiades and her mother Aphrodite. Boy, even with all those names, sometimes I have to wonder if I'm getting it right. If you hear me do a stumble, let me know. I'd be happy to hear when I'm missing that beat, it's always better when I get it. Really great storytelling, Um, an ending that I cannot give away because it sets up not only the next issue, but because it also is such a cliffhanger that it would be wrong for me to do so. In addition to the mother-daughter storyline, I also really enjoyed the reunion between Steve Trevor and Diana I got a kick out of the fact that there is this uh, expression of dismay from Atlantiades when she first heard that this was the guy getting in the way of diana perhaps starting up a romantic relationship with Atlantiades but also later when she meets him she refers to him as a dullard and what an idiot and clearly in my opinion is jealous i love this story for the ways that it brings about a lot of resolutions, not only for Diana and her mother, for Isidore and her mother, and then also creates challenges which were already existing for Aphrodite and Atlanteides. I love the art team and the way they cast mascara, and also the way we see first Steve Trevor in this jungle environment, but then later when he and Diana have this great face-to-face on the splash page on page 11. It's absolutely gorgeous, and the way she looks at him is the way, and the way he looks at her, is the way any two people in love look at each other and the way anyone wants to be looked at by the person they love. I thought this was a really great story. I loved the fact that it covers so much ground, it addresses a lot, but even though so many of the moments are quiet it doesn't feel slow and i think that's really important for the pacing of the story and why it leads to such a challenging cliffhanger the way the art team supports this with their tone their shadows the lines tight when they're close a little bit soft at the best moments and the way they reflect really just so much of the hope and the promise that i feel this issue really provides make this a a really amazing issue for me. I'm happy to give this a solid five out of five. I wish every book on the spinner rack could be one. But when it can't, the number that I do get the chance to put as a five out of five always makes me smile, which is why it's my pleasure again to say that Wonder Woman number 76 receives a five out of five from me on this episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack episode number 22. And with that, a little bit of information to help you keep up with us. Whenever it comes to streaming this podcast, you can find DC Comics News on all the major podcast platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play. And if you haven't already, please head over and subscribe to the podcast and rate and review. Now, when it comes to the scores or anything else about this episode or any episode of the DC Comics News podcast, you can share it with us on your favorite social media channel, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube. All you have to do is use the at symbol and DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, -C O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. I'd also like to encourage you to check back here on a weekly basis for the DC Comics News podcast team, where I'm lucky enough to join as often as possible, this great group, as we go over the breaking headlines and continuing stories about the DC Comics universe, DC movie and films, and all the other parts that go with the DC Comics universe. I'd also encourage you to keep an eye out for an upcoming podcast from DC Comics News podcast contributor and host, steve j ray you can also find his reviews on dc comics news and dark knight news and i'm letting you know this because soon he'll have his own podcast featured here on the dc comics news podcast network it will be an episode by episode breakdown of batman the animated series you won't want to miss episode one or all the episodes that follow so if you haven't yet Remember, subscribe to DC Comics News on all those podcast platforms I listed earlier. With all that information out of the way, time for our final message, which is one that I think always bears repeating, and it is to always read more comics. Thanks for joining us and looking forward to joining you next week for another episode